Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spalding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing of gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today I welcome Katie Ziggleman, who works for Spectrum. She is Head of Solutions Architecture. Welcome, Katie, to the Platform Podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And tell me, what your job sounds fascinating, Spectrum is fascinating, so just tell me a bit about what the company does and where, where you fit in. Yeah, so we work with online platforms, and we do this across verticals, including marketplaces, dating, gaming, and social social networks. Um, and we work with these platforms to license them contextual AI that helps them recognize and respond to toxic behaviors. So really trying to help them just clean up their own their own content and also empower them to create communities that are safe and inclusive and engaged. So when we talk about content moderation, and I, I loved your webinar that you did for Marketplace Risk a couple of weeks ago, which is obviously on our on our website now for people to, to watch um, whenever they like. I thought it was really fascinating because this opened up a, a whole world for me, and I, I don't really know much about content moderation. So I'm going to ask you for a bit of a, a back to basics on it. Content, um, when we talk about it in this these terms, is anything that people themselves can post on a website isn't it the, the the company that doesn't have power over that that could be anything presumably could it be things like um uh, anything from reviews to forums what does that actually encompass I was trying to work it out before I, I came on to record with you and I, I I felt that I there were probably areas that I'd missed in my own head yeah, no, I, you, you've got it completely right. It's the, the user-generated content, which you'll see abbreviated as UGC. Um, and basically what that means is anything that a user is actually able to put on the site. And it, it can happen in the form of a free-form text field. So, for instance, someone's name is a piece of user-generated content. If they have profile descriptions, that can be user-generated content. And, you know, we, we've... We have focused historically on text, 
and we're actually rolling out a voice solution. But in addition to that, there are also things like images and videos, which can also be pieces, you know, content types that users might post to a platform. And what we found is, yeah, it's, it's really any sort of user-generated content tends to have a risk. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we love the pieces of user-generated content on a platform because that's what makes them more social. You know, that's really where you get to bring in the community elements. But unfortunately, like most other things in life, those things that can bring us together can also cause some risk in people actually using them for, for nefarious reasons. And what are the motivators for somebody who wants to leave content that maybe the, the platform themselves doesn't want to see? I mean, I suppose that, that's, again, taking it back to basics here, because the incentive to do that, to put something on that isn't right, could could be varied. I'm, I mean, imagine that a lot of it is just to, I don't know, maybe sort of, trolling or toxic behavior but there must be some other reasons for for doing that yeah I think it it, a piece of it comes down to what the different types of behaviors or harmful behaviors especially are you know the webinar that I did with with marketplace risk really focused on spam Um, and with spam you know there's there's actually a financial incentive behind the people who are using platforms to actually get spam content out there because they're essentially inviting users to find them somewhere offline with the intent of really defrauding them, whether that's by getting them, you know, we see a lot of scams also that, that are similar to this. And it could be everything from, you know, I'm an army veteran. My kids won't talk to me. I need an an iTunes gift card. Can you help me? Um, And so there, there is that kind of bucket of behaviors and bucket of, of bad actors, I guess, that are really incentivized by the money. Because mm-hmm. it ultimately does work. I think there's another bucket of people, kind of like what you mentioned, that can just be toxic behaviors. People who just, for whatever reason, maybe they woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, or maybe they're just permanently got a chip on their shoulder. I don't know. But there, there is that group of people. But then I think there's also a group of people who maybe just don't know what's allowed on the platform. Right. And that's where, you know, we talk about content moderation. And so often content moderation is a reactive thing that a platform will do where it becomes a, oh, crap, you know, now all of a sudden we're starting to get some some bad, bad content on the site. We should do something about it. And the reality is that there's there's also a way to almost turn that around. And it starts with when a user first onboards onto the platform. Are you helping them to understand really what's going to be acceptable? Are you setting those expectations up front of what what it what are the terms of service that they're agreeing to? But I hate calling them terms of service because that's a very legal term. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what can happen with especially with that group of people who maybe are are putting harmful behavior on the platform because they don't know any better, they're probably not gonna read a legal agreement when they first sign onto the site. Right. We're, we're all guilty if we click the scroll box, check the box, move on. Whereas platforms can actually take the time to actually really lay out what's going to be allowed here and set, you know, some people have a code of conduct or some people, um, one of the platforms that we work with, they ask their users to take a safety pledge. You know, all these different ways that people can actually set the standard up front in a, in a welcome to our community. Here's what's going to be expected of you. 
And presumably that would vary quite a lot depending on the type of platform. But um, say you talked about working with dating websites. I mean, if people are on there, you know, to to engage in that way, then presumably the the what's acceptable isn't going to be one sort of catch all. Is that right? Yeah, I like to think about it. I, I used to live in New York City, big fan of New York City. I mean, this is true of any city, but. I like the concept of, you know, if you want to go out with your friends to a nightclub on a Friday night, you have a set of behaviors that you know are going to be acceptable, which are going to be a different set of behaviors than if you want to go to an art museum on a Sunday afternoon, (laughs) right? Yeah. And I think the internet is the same way in the sense that there there are communities and places for people to meet for all sorts of different types of interests, and each of them are going to have slightly different versions of what's acceptable for the community. With that said, there are also a couple of behaviors that I think across the board, everyone agrees are bad. And a lot of these are around, you know, child sexual abuse material grooming. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, spam tends to be super annoying wherever you are. Um, Some of the the recruitment and radicalization type behaviors. And in general, hate speech. You know, there, I haven't met a single platform that is tolerant of people being racist on their platform, as, at least as if they know about it and are able to do something about it. And so I think it's a combination of that there are going to be different types of almost online social norms, mm-hmm. but it really is up to the platform as the one to set what they're okay with. Mm-hmm. And how a platform actually does that, you know, there, there are lots of different ways that that can happen. One of them is by listening to the community, you know, getting a sense of what is the community actually okay with here. But then the other one is they're the ones actually creating that space. It also comes down to what are they philosophically aligned with. And that's okay. You know, this, this is an opportunity. It's almost like inviting someone over to your house for dinner. Mm-hmm. It's your house. You're inviting them into your space. You can set the rules of what you're okay with and what you're not. Same with a platform. As a user, when you go to that platform, you are accepting whatever rules that platform has for you. And I think that's something that that um, can get lost every once in a while because we get so stuck in this, you know, freedom of speech. Everyone can talk about whatever they want and they're censoring me. And the reality is that they've created the space for you to come and have a voice. It's it's up to you to follow their terms. Yeah, and you're, going back to your analogy, it's like you know you wouldn't do tequila shots in the while you were looking at art on a Sunday afternoon in you know exactly. um, and but... start groping strangers. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that'd go over so no. well. Um, now, what fascinates me about this, and we talk about platforms, and obviously the idea of a platform is this almost like online stage on which you know you can make your own appearance, and this is the amazing world of platforms that we we both work in. But content moderation itself presumably only goes back as far as a point where people were able to register a profile and start to actually contribute to a website or um, mm-hmm. platform in that way. Am I, am I right in that? Or is it, is it something, is there a kind of, um, you know, older kind of precursor to content moderation? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think, you know, it could go back even further to people being able to submit content to magazines or submit content to be published for different reasons. But I think, 
the shift is that more historically when people were submitting almost like works of art or, or uh, you know, some, something that they have created to be published, that sort of, it, it wasn't moderation, you know, it was really more around editing and making sure that the quality is, is what people were looking for. And I think with the, the widespread nature now of user-generated content on platforms, there is still a concern for some people around content quality, but more so than that, it really is just about are people engaging in the community in a positive way? Mm-hmm. And that's something I wanted to come back to because, you know, we oftentimes in, in trust and safety in general, we tend to focus so much on the harmful behaviors because those are the ones that, you know, become PR nightmares. Those are the ones that can cause people to leave. But the reality is that a lot of what people are doing in trust and safety is trying to encourage the positive behaviors. Because ultimately what you're trying to prevent is a, a user coming to your platform and saying, oh, I had a terrible experience on this platform because they had a terrible experience with another user. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But in that scenario, and let's say in a marketplace, we have a buyer and a seller talking to each other and the buyer just becomes a jerk to the seller. The seller might want to actually remove their items. They might not want to be on the platform anymore because they have this, this bad experience on, um, on their brain. And then from a business perspective, that's really bad, you know, for the platform themselves because they, they don't want to, they don't want people to leave because they had a bad experience with another user, especially when their product itself is actually designed to really, you know, create these positive moments. Mm -hmm. And it also, you know, so there's, there's oftentimes in content moderation, we talk about, well, how do we just get rid of that jerk? How do we make sure that they just can't do, can't, you know, be a jerk. And presumably, yeah, and make sure that the the other side of the the two-sided marketplace, the other person who's been the victim of that jerk, um, that they feel that it's about that individual and not the platform experience. I suppose that's part of it, isn't it? Just making them feel that they don't, you know, they don't want to go elsewhere um, and how to reassure them that that's not the experience that they, um, that they should have got. Exactly. And the only way that that kind of an interaction can happen is if the team that is focused on trust and safety has the resources and has the time available to have those meaningful interactions with not only the jerk, but also the person who potentially was impacted by that harmful behavior. And that's where, you know, I think I mentioned this a little bit in the webinar, but we love the concept of safety by design. And what that means is that, you know, while content moderation hasn't been as much of a focus until more recent years, and especially trust and safety in general, now that we are where we are with the internet and people are creating online platforms that are going to have user-generated content elements from day one, how do you also design a system that is focused on user safety from day one instead of it being an afterthought? Yeah. Because what happens is you can actually think about that up front. You can think about that onboarding process. You can think about what those agreements are that you're essentially asking your users to make. And then you can also start to think about how do you proactively continue to get a sense of what's happening on your platform, especially as you grow and as you scale, so that you're not relying on users to tell you 
when something bad happens or even worse for them to just leave because of it. It's important from a product design element also to just have, have an understanding of what's actually happening on the platform. What are, what are the areas that potentially are caused, have more potential for harmful behaviors? And where are the areas where the community is, is being very engaged and very safe? And it also, you know, if you can design for a safe community, it allows for a more inclusive community, right? Mm-hmm. And as we think about from day one, a lot, of, a lot of platforms, especially UGC platforms, they tend to be very, very focused on growth. And growth is super important, but there are so many things that impact growth. And one of those is also the actual experience of, of the people as they join the platform. And so we like to talk about how safety by design can actually enable growth by design because it's more meaningful quality uh, engagements. And that just allows for uh, a it allows for you to plan ahead to the future. It allows you to keep an eye on kind of what's going on and adjust the product design as necessary to continue this concept of growth while doing all of this without being afraid of users leaving because of bad experiences and whatnot. That's really interesting. And, and you know, from the point of view of things like sort of platform leakage and disintermediation, et cetera, this, it, having that good experience with other platform users and not seeing any um, toxic content, it will be a huge part of that. Um, I imagine that, you know, these things would make somebody leave and go elsewhere or go to a competitor. Um, so mm-hmm. having that locked in right right at the beginning must be a really important thing for for the for the marketplace startups that that we talk to here at, at Marketplace Risk. Exactly, and it can be hard sometimes, you know, especially early on. You have limited resources, you have limited capital that you can spend against different pieces of the product, and this is one that so often can fall behind, especially because people. As humans, you know, we always think, well, that happens to other people. It's not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And so it's more about how can you be prepared for that at the right level? You know, we're not saying that you need to hire thousands of moderators from day one. The whole point is that with safety by design, you really don't have to do that because you can get a handle on it more from a technology perspective and then grow the team as the, the platform scales appropriately, but continue focusing on preventative measures and continue focusing on having that clear picture of what's going on so that as you're making even team growth decisions, you, you're making them from a very informed and data-driven perspective. You said there um, about hiring a, a, a team. How much of content moderation is done by humans and how much of it is actually uh, automated? I, I genuinely don't know that. I know that obviously, um, you know, you need to have that human element, but is there part of it that can be um, done by AI? Yes. And that the, the split of the two is going to be different depending on the platform. But something that we talk about a lot is that there's, we're always going to need humans to some extent. And this is where, you know, there are always going to be gray area cases that people need to review to really understand, is my policy handling this correctly? Um, you know, there, there is a lot within the trust and safety and content moderation world that does require a lot of thought and a lot of 
a lot of smarts to really think through how you want to solve some problems. So there's always going to be a human element. And also when you have cases, you know, like we mentioned CCM grooming earlier, cases like that are going to need to be escalated. They're going to need human in the loop. There are, there's definitely just always going to be that human element. With that said, there are some things that can be automated away if you can trust the behavior identification uh, aspects of this. And that's what we try to do with the contextual AI is because our, our technology does look at context. So we don't just look at a piece of, of data and say, oh, there's a swear word in it. We actually look at a complete message. We look at the metadata associated with the message so we can see not only what's being said, but who's saying it, what time of day, where are they saying it? Is it a one-on-one -on -one chat or is it something posted in a more public way? Um, and through that context, and then also through some of our models actually look across the conversation so we can see not only what is someone saying, but how is someone responding? Mm -hmm. Meaning, is someone showing signs of fear or anger as opposed, or is it something that's, you know, especially adult consensual conversations mm -hmm. or a joke? Yeah. Um, right. Um, and so that's where, you know, if you can trust the behavior identification, then you can choose to automate some of the moderation, whether it's actually removing the content or sending educational messages to users because again, sometimes people just don't know that what they're doing is actually in violation. And if they continue to just get away with it, then they're never going to learn. But if you can catch it quickly and provide a nudge of, hey, that's not cool on this platform. Or, hey, are you sure you want to post that? Because that, that could have some harmful you know, consequences. Um, nudges like that can actually help really shape the user experience. And they can be automated while then focusing, having the the human team really focus on um, the cases that need that human element. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you, Katie, about how you got into this. How did you discover this world? And and tell me about your your journey to um, to to taking on this role at, at Spectrum and becoming you know such an expert in this space. Yeah, and that's something we. We at Spectrum have, have tried to build out a community of people who work in trust and safety. And one thing that is that we constantly talk about is how no one has a set journey to trust and safety. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's not something that you go to, to school to learn how to do. It's something that kind of falls in your lap at some point. Yeah, that's why I find it so interesting <laughs> to find out because I know a lot of people that I speak to who are involved in, in this world um, of marketplaces and trust and safety and and you know it's not like any of us um, sat there age 10 um, at school and said you know this is the job I'm going to do because the jobs that we we do end up doing weren't even created then <laughs> so it's always yeah. interesting to hear the journeys that people have had and what has inspired them. Yeah and so my journey I actually started working um, on the publisher side and I I love, I, I, I was a part, or I, I got to kind of see a little bit of, of the evolution as publishing moved more and more online, where I was working at the Boston Globe and the New York Times and um, some of those places. But I was focused actually on the digital advertising side of it. So I was learning a lot about the technology behind the platform and how that all works. And then um, I went to a startup where we were focusing on data. It was a data management platform called Crux, K-R-U-X. 
Um, and the reason that I bring that up is both of the Spectrum co-founders were also at this company. And what we were doing at that company was working with big publishers and big marketers and helping them make sense of the data that they had available. And how we were doing that was first we were building these big, big data platforms that allowed us to just work with data at this huge scale. And we were also using machine learning and whatnot to help them make sense of this. And then that company actually got acquired by Salesforce in 2016. And then I bopped around a little bit in a few kind of tech jobs. But ultimately what led our co-founders to actually create Spectrum and then what led me to, to come and work with them again was really, we figured out that we could use a lot of what we had learned when it came to big data processing and machine learning to make sense of this actually do something good, do something that mattered. And that was helping platforms be able to detect these harmful behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how I got here today. <laughs> it's great. And I, I love the way that when you, when you unravel the journey of a lot of people who work in uh, risk management and trust and safety and fraud, um, they, they are so purpose driven. And, you know, I often hear these stories about how people got involved because, you know, they see a, a real good in the work that they're doing. And it's, um, you know, it's it's really great to hear that. I'm going to just ask you for the last couple of minutes, because um, we've raced through. Um, I just okay. wanted to ask you, last week, I spoke to Gillian Slyfield, who um, works at Aon, um, and in particularly in the digital innovation space in, in insurance. And um, we talked a bit about diversity because I have had more men on the platform podcast than women. So I did want to touch on that. And I just wondered in in your space, what, what are the um, ratios like when it comes to, to men and women? Um, and what's the diversity like when it comes to content moderation? Yeah, diversity is incredibly important as we think about trust and safety in general. I know it's something that our company has kept a very close eye on from day one. We don't just want to build a team of people that we already know. We want to create a team that is very diverse and it's diversity of background in addition to diversity of, of gender and mm -hmm. all of the other attributes. Um, and it's something, you know, as you're thinking about trust and safety, it is also incredibly important there because one of the things that you want to make sure is that you're not that your policies and how you're choosing to enforce your policies don't accidentally overproportionally impact one group different than another. Yeah. And a lot of how you can do that is by making sure that the team that's working on creating those policies and constantly reviewing those policies and also enforcing them, especially on the moderation side, is a, a very diverse group of people and also a diverse group of people who understands the community. And so, you know, what, one example of that is if you're, if you're running a dating platform for the gay community, it's probably important that some of the people who are actually doing the enforcement also really understand that community and they're mm. not just coming in as an outsider. Yeah. And mm. so, yeah, it's definitely, it's something that's very top of mind for us. It's something that's top of mind for our customers and then, you know, from, from just the machine learning side, you don't want to have bias in your models also. Yeah. So incredibly important that we're getting diversity as we do the data labeling to prep the data that it's actually going to go into the models to ensure that that bias isn't there. And then again, just in the actual enforcement, once we're using those model results to make sure that 
um, everyone that were not disproportionately impacted yeah. different groups. That's really interesting. And, um, I suppose this year, particularly, you know, what would be a, a podcast recording as we reach the end of 2020 without talking um, as a final word about 2020 and um, the fact that obviously a lot of people have been doing stuff online when they haven't before. So, um, you know, from the point of view of obviously e-commerce and shopping and deliveries and stuff that we've all been doing more of, but also dating and um, maybe looking for t- forums for entertainment or all these sorts of things how has that impacted you and um and spectrum have you been a, a lot busier is it um has it been a, a crazy year for you or just business as usual yeah i mean you know we've we've been affected obviously in in just the it's a global pandemic everyone's working from home we can't see each other so we we've been experiencing that, but but also absolutely just in in the global trends of more people turning to online for community for communication. You know we're seeing pretty much across the board just insane user growth numbers, and it's everything from and and with that you know some interesting challenges on the marketplace side, especially marketplaces that sell items. We're starting to see um, concerns for price gauging or gouging excuse me, um, or, you know, people, especially early on, were hoarding hand sanitizer and selling it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also seeing kind of a general trend, I guess, of people being a little bit more lonely. And so platforms that traditionally are not about dating are somehow turning into dating. <laughs> oh, <laughs> give me an example. Uh, I'm intrigued. What? <laughs> well, um, a lot of actually, lots, especially in gaming, um, some of the like word games that people play have turned into some interesting conversations of just flirting oh, wow. and maybe, you know, settings where you wouldn't expect that. Yeah. We've also seen a little bit of an uptick in just sexual conversations or uh, certain sexual items almost being requested or sold in marketplaces. I think it, it in general people people are home, they're lonely, they just want to find connection in some way. And it, it it that has been happening online. And so yeah, we're seeing both a combination of just overall growth on a lot of platforms. We're also seeing a little bit more because you know, also in 2020, especially in the US, we had um, you know, George Floyd and all of the events, all of the events that led to the Black Lives Matters movement. And we're seeing in some cases, a little bit more executive buy-in to trust and safety because they're realizing they don't want to be a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so it's how do we how do we work together to really ensure that we're not encouraging incitement of violence and racism online um, and really instead creating these safe and engaged communities. I really hope, and I'm sure you do as well, that some of the changes that we've all made to the way we live our lives in 2020, regardless of what happens with a vaccine um, in the coming months, will be changes for the better that that stick and, um, you know, we can move forward positively. Absolutely. And, you know, we have to say, with everything going on this year, I can't imagine it happening 20 years ago when we didn't have the same sort of online communities that we do now Mm -hmm. and so it's been really cool to also just see the positive side of it yeah you know where people are coming together they are using 
different tools, different ways to communicate, but still able to find that community. Yeah, definitely. Um, No, it's been brilliant. And thank you so much, Katie, for taking the time today to talk to me. It's been really interesting. So um, do um, hopefully come on the Platform Podcast or one of our webinars again. And thanks again for, for, for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Program Platform Podcast. Check out the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.